Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Yeah? Yeah? I would like us to take a second and tap into our imagination. Can you do that? Or are you too old? You're not too old. You're never too old. Clear your mind. Imagine that your mind, your body, and your spirit can all talk to each other without pause, without confusion. That your body, your mind, and your emotions all feel connected. They're not separate. Can you imagine that? It's a stretch, isn't it? Your body experiences something and your emotions react to that thing and your mind thinks about it and it all happens in a split second, in a constant flow, instead of stages. Okay, you got that? You got it? Okay, now let's take a step further. And can you imagine living as that type of being with other beings like that? Imagine if you could be understood by just being with someone, that there is no confusion or misunderstanding, so there would also be less conflict, no feeling of being less than or not wanted, of being insecure or unloved. And therefore, there would be no need to push and fight and leverage ourselves. Now, imagine that you and the other beings were also connected that way with God, the creator of all things. This is a depiction of shalom. Peace. Peace that actually means wholeness. A coming and going of right relationship between God and humans, between humans and other humans, and the rest of the created world, but also for humans within ourselves. A wholeness. This is actually how humans were created to be believe it or not, this was the plan. So what happened? And can we ever actually be whole like that again? This is the question I would like to take with us as we dive into the world of Romans 8. The lectionary today begins at verse 26, but for the sake of context, I would like to back up a little bit. Paul begins the chapter, chapter 8 by telling us that the law of the Spirit, shall we set the Spirit over here? The law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. That God, through the body of Jesus, condemned sin in the flesh so that we could live alive. Spirit's over here, right? No, I put him over there. Okay, so we got, we're alive in the Spirit, right? Um, but there would be death in the flesh. How the body is subject to death because of sin, but that the Spirit can give us life because of righteousness. 
And then Paul says that because the Spirit lives within us, even our physical bodies will be made new. Whew, right? It's a lot. So at this point, we have flesh and spirit, and I keep mixing them up even, right? So we got flesh and spirit, death and life. Then in verse 18, Paul begins to talk about suffering. The suffering of right now in comparison with the hope of what will come. He talks about how all of creation is groaning for the day when the suffering will be over, when there will be no more fracturing and broken pieces, when shalom, wholeness, will return. All of creation is groaning as with the pains of childbirth. Sometimes I wonder at Paul using the, this, right? I have a rule about such things, right? If you haven't experienced it, maybe you shouldn't talk about it. I will, I'll give him some license, but I just want to say this. That is real, right? Right? If you've ever experienced childbirth or watched it be experienced. Groaning as with the pains of childbirth because of the hope of something better. The hope that one day our bodies will be redeemed. Longing for that day when our whole selves will be conformed to the image of the sun. We have tasted the first little bits of what it would be like to be united with Christ, and we want it so badly that we can feel it in our bones. It's the hope. The suffering and the pain of this life can seem unrelenting, but it is the hope that causes the deep, guttural groaning. As Proverbs 13, 12 describes, hope deferred actually makes the heart sick. Every time my parents who are now known around my house as Nana and Papa. That's right, Dad. It's a little payback for all those times you brought me up in class. Here we go. Every time Nana and Papa come to town, my boys know to expect a surprise. You see, this is what grandparents do, I have realized. They bring surprises to show their love. And they used to actually be surprises. But my boys are old enough now that a few days before my parents come, they begin to ask if I think that there might be a surprise. As the days get closer, the hours, the minutes, my boys get more and more excited for the grandparents to come and also for the surprise. By the time my parents walk through the door, the anticipation has reached an almost unbearable level for them and anyone around them. The anticipation of the good has created a groaning, a pain, a pain in my boys that would not be there 
if they didn't have the hope of something that was coming. So here's the question. Should my parents just not come to our house so that my boys don't have to wait? Should I deny the grandparents the joy it gives them to bring a surprise and watch the boys' faces light up when that with that token of their affection? Okay, right? I think in this example, it's very easy for us all to say no, right? Why would we take away the joy of the fullness of the event just to prevent my children's temporary discomfort? But this dilemma, this lighthearted dilemma, is actually a microcosm of the very real dilemma of our entire human existence. Except our pain and suffering is often a lot more brutal, and we have to wait a lot longer than the few days before the grandparents arrive. So, what do we do? while we hang in the balance? What do we do with that tension? Our whole human selves know that we were made for more than this. They cry out against the fracturing of the self, against the fractures in relationship with people and with God. And we as humans have tried everything imaginable to deal with this pain. Often in human history and in the history of the church, we have thought that perhaps if we just isolate parts of the self, we separate them out, right? Maybe we can find what is to blame and we can fix it, right? Maybe it's that body. Maybe it's the body that's bad, right? It's easy to get mad at our physical state. And there are reasons for this. The Apostle Paul himself discusses his physical state a lot. He discusses the thorn in his flesh, real physical pains that he carries. Our bodies can be problematic. They can break down. They can stop working. The truth is we shy away from our bodies because they are the site of our pain. It is in these bodies that we experience suffering. In these human bodies, people experience injustice and oppression and abuse. Maybe it's our minds that are bad. Think. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe if we just controlled ourselves better, right? If we just told ourselves the right things and repeated enough scripture to ourselves, we wouldn't feel the pain. Maybe we just aren't smart enough, right? Maybe we just don't have the brain to understand. So we just try to think harder, seek out somebody smarter. Maybe someday we will figure out the key, right? The key to easy, painless living. 
There are a billion self-help books. I was going to say million. I'm scratch that. There's a billion. They're out there. They take up shelves. They're half of Amazon. They're, they're telling you what to do. There's hacks. There's hacks for everything. You just watch a show called Hack My Home. They can. There's a million solutions to problems you didn't even know you had. Maybe we just need to fight the right one, the right parenting trick, right? Maybe if we're smart enough, we can trick ourselves out of the suffering. Hmm. I got it. I got it. Maybe it's our feelings. It's our feelings. Yep. Let's blame them, those unwieldy, tricky creatures. If we just shut the emotions down, the pain wouldn't be an option. That's a great plan, right? So we numb ourselves. And we just live a half-life, just trying to control it. No, no. The answer will not come from martyring some part of ourselves. Because here's why. The problem is not that we were created poorly, but that we were created intelligently. Our mind and body and emotions are all intricately connected and inseparable. They communicate with each other, and we know when something is wrong, when something is not full or whole or good. We feel it acutely. The problem is not the way that we were made. The problem is sin. The same circuitry that God himself put in us to help us commune with him in complete synchrony of mind, body, and spirit is the circuitry that gets stuck and causes us problems because of the effects of sin, or in this passage, the flesh. It can be our own sin, disconnecting us from ourselves, from others, from God, but it can also, unfortunately, be the sin of others. We see this very clearly in the phenomena of trauma. Okay, stick with me. I could give you a very long lecture on the anatomy and healing and things of trauma. I got like 17 books about it. I will not do that. But I am going to say a few things as a primer here, perhaps. When some action is enacted upon us, either from indirect means of this fallen world, like a flood or a hurricane, or direct abuse or violence by another person or an oppressive system, our bodies protect us. They say, nope. The body decides without asking the mind's opinion the quickest way to protect us, our bodies are not stupid. They know what they're doing. Our bodies will quite literally guard our minds and our emotions by either, either making us fight, flee the situation, or freeze. And it's a good thing. It protects us. But then we can become stuck. When we experience ordinary events during an ordinary day, we go to sleep, and our mind encapsulates our experiences into memories during our REM sleep cycle. 
These memories are then sort of sorted. I don't know if you've seen Inside Out, right? It is not like that, but maybe kind of, you know, the little bubbles in the order and color and category, right? They are sorted and dealt with and incorporated into our sense of self, who we are, and we move on. But when we encounter a traumatic event, our body does not know what to do with that information. It doesn't like it. It's like shards of glass instead of fiber optic cables, right? So instead of a steady stream of data, we get this. And the body can't metabolize it as a memory. So it just gets stuck in our physical self. And that's what we call trauma. So that's gloomy, isn't it? Where's the hope? Well, in the trauma literature, pr practitioners have found that treatment will not work if it isolates any part of the self. So healing from trauma only happens when we engage the body, the mind, and our emotions. There must be felt safety before the body will release enough to let our mind and emotions be engaged and healed. I think this tells us something about the way that God shows up with us. The way that he gives us hope in our here and now. Verse 26 of Romans 8 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit of God comes to us in this place, this space of longing between our shattered present, and the glory that an embodied knowing of Jesus Christ will bring. When we don't even have words to put into our prayers, because maybe we can't at this point even imagine wholeness, the Spirit intercedes with groanings that are so deep there aren't words for them. The Spirit of God will hold our deepest pain for as long as it takes for us to see the ark of wholeness that is promised to us in verses 28, 29, and 30. The scripture gives no timeline here for God to take things and make goodness. It may take an entire lifetime. But we can be confident that there is nothing that can impede the goodness God promises to bring in the lives of those who abide in him. It is because of this that we can confidently stand and assert, like verse 31 states, that if God is for us, if he is for the wholeness and redemption of our souls, the redemption even of our physical bodies, the redemption of our deepest heartaches and trauma, our pain, then really, who can stand against us? Our hope is not found in being impervious to pain. Sorry, it's not. Our hope is not in denying what our bodies feel or ignoring our emotions. 
Our hope is not found in minimizing or ignoring each other's pain. Our hope is not found in turning away from oppression and injustice, from racism or abuse. That would be a small and pathetic little hope. We don't have to cling with white knuckles to a manufactured sort of Pollyanna pipe dream in order to have peace or wholeness or joy. We have something better than that. Our hope is in a God who is not afraid to stare down this earthly reality with us, who can actually bring healing now while we still wait for the fullness of glory that will come. Let's listen to the words here of the passage. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword being slaughtered? No, nothing, not death or life. Listen to that. You ever notice that? Not death or life. All of the real pain and suffering our experiences, the day in, day out, living with real people in real time, that cannot separate us from the love of Christ either. Not angels or demons Nothing in the present, nothing in the future. No powers. No person can come and take Jesus from you. And if they act like they can, they are lying. No matter how powerful, nothing, no height or depth, Nothing or no one in all of creation can take the love of Jesus from you. I want us to hear that. But I want us to feel it too. Let it sink into our bones and our synapses and our marrow. There is nothing that can happen to you. There is nothing anyone can do to you that can take Jesus from you. No one and nothing is powerful enough to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loves you fully and he loves you always. Our hope is not that life will not be hard, but that our God knows that it is hard and that he will not back away. We can never be too much for him. His love is stronger. And this, my friends, is what makes us, as the last verses there say, conquerors. No, no, no. More. More than conquerors. We can face anything because we are fully and completely and impenetrably loved. We have hope because we are loved. And sin doesn't get to have the last word. Now, there's something that this passage doesn't directly speak about, but I think it's important, too. Sometimes we feel very alone in this, and part of the conquering is what we do together in community. 
what we can be for one another, that love, that face, that presence. And I also want to say this before I close us out here. If you struggle with trauma, if you are feeling a lot of pain right now, if there are things that you suffer with that you feel alone in, you are not alone. And, by the way, there are people in this room that could lead you to some really good resources. So I just want to throw that out there. You can talk to me, myself, my husband. Is Nancy here? Nancy? No, Nancy's not here today. You could talk to her. Chris, we know people. There are good people who love Jesus and, and want to help. I also want to offer one more resource before I leave and stop talking. Um, this book, Try Softer, Andy Kolber. It's amazing. If you want to learn more about trauma, I'm, I'm your gal. You come, you ask me. I got lots of books, right? This is a great beginning primer if you want to learn for someone else or for yourself. We are loved, and we have hope. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, make us people who are unafraid to hope. Let us feel your love so deeply and radically that we can't help but let it spill over to our neighbor. Make us unafraid to love our neighbor in their pain. Make us bold to shine your love and goodness into the face of injustice and hurt. Let us trust your good and perfect work. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.